0: Hello and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson bringing to you this week news from Argentina, Armenia, Italy, the United Kingdom, Slovakia, the United States, and a see you in hell that's the celebration of a dead fascist from Italy. Although this one is a little bit more complicated than that. Starting off in Argentina, Javier Millet, the right-wing Argentine candidate for president, participated, along with all the other major candidates, in the second major presidential debate in that country. As a reminder, Millet is a complicated right-wing figure. He is a sort of extreme right-wing libertarian who is okay with trans rights and homosexual marriage, but is virulently opposed to a bunch of social welfare policies and basically wants the Argentine state to essentially be eliminated and to have zero budget. He has doubled down on some of his right-wing bona fides in this election, however, as he has issued a formal apologia for the thousands who were killed by Argentina's most recent military dictatorship. Specifically, he claimed in his presidential debate that the 30,000 people who were killed by the last Argentine dictatorship between 1976 and the early 1980s were a fabrication or an exaggeration. This is both provocative clickbait on his part and is also a dog whistle for the extreme right wing in Argentina, which doesn't really have exactly anywhere else to go electorally. Moving on to Armenia, there is an ongoing concern that a genocide is occurring there. Almost 100,000 people have been displaced due to fighting between Azerbaijan and Armenia, two post-Soviet countries that have been locked in conflict pretty regularly since the fall of the Soviet Union. It's possible that more intense killing of ethnic Armenians by the Azerbaijani government could be happening, or that it might happen in the future, or that it might already be happening, but we don't know about it when it's being covered up, or it's just not being covered particularly extensively. Both of these countries have extremely complicated relationships to Russia, both of them having been formerly parts of the Soviet Union and therefore essentially client states of the Russian Soviet Socialist Republic. This also means that as Russia is engaged in its conflict with Ukraine, another former Soviet socialist republic, that they have a complicated relationship to the kind of protection, you know, both like protection from the outside and also like mafia style protection that they had received from Russia. Moving on to Italy, there is legal confrontation in Italy over Italy's migration laws. The current government of Italy, led by the brothers of Italy, the descendant of the descendant of the Italian fascist party, has been in conflict with the Italian court system over trying to get the Italian court system to detain migrants essentially immediately and to keep them in detention essentially perpetually, which is not only horribly immoral and terrible, it is also against the law in Italy and also in the European Union. The current government of Italy, led by Giorgia Maloney, is trying to posture as a far-right party while also really trying its best to triangulate in order to prevent itself from being just like labeled as actually a fascist government and therefore incapable of governing Italy at all. This is a complex dance that Maloney and her government are trying to execute, and they're not doing so very effectively right now. Some good news, well, relatively, out of the United Kingdom, mass violence has been averted in the United Kingdom in the UK region of Somerset, as a potential mass shooter was discovered with thousands of rounds, massive amounts of potential explosive devices, even potentially rocket launchers, also a fake police uniform, also handcuffs. He was discovered prior to his executing a plan to attack his old school and his workplace. Exactly what his motivations were for these things have not been really released so far. However, as a reminder, the vast majority of mass shooters, especially when they are as this man is a white man, are motivated either by domestic violence, which I would argue is a right-wing political perspective, you know, it's almost always gendered violence, or it is motivated by politicized violence that comes from gender politics, racial politics, or fascist politics itself. Moving on to Slovakia, a new coalition government has formed in that country. Slovakia, a central European country and a member of the European Union, is now under a new coalition government under the Smer party. S-M-E-R. I do not speak Slovak. My sincerest apologies to anybody who does. Smer means direction in Slovak. It is led by a man named Fiko, who has been the prime minister of Slovakia several times before. Fico and his Smear party are pro-Russia, they're anti-US, they're Euroskeptics, which means that they dispute the power of the European Union in many capacities. They're a right-wing populist party that might really upset the European Union and NATO's efforts to protect Ukraine from Russia, specifically given that one of Fico's big campaign promises as he was campaigning for prime ministership was, quote, not a single more round, end quote, sent to Ukraine. Now, Slovakia, like many other NATO and EU countries, has been giving a substantial part of its military reserves to Ukraine as donations in order to allow Ukraine to continue to fight against the Russians. So the actual matter of fact is that most of the reserves have already been depleted. So saying that they're not going to give any more is not exactly a big deal for a country like Slovakia. However, their voting rights in the EU and NATO mean that it might be harder to get a country like Ukraine into these organizations because of potential Slovak blockading. Slovakia now joins a growing Central European bloc of right-wing, sort of U.S. skeptic, Russophilic countries, including Viktor Orban's Hungary, and also very potentially soon-to-come Poland, which is seeing an election later this month. If this happens, these countries will be following what some historians have jokingly called their natural historic progression towards fascism, interrupted only momentarily by the Soviet invasion in the mid-20th century. Moving on to the United States, there was a mass shooting earlier this week, at a historically black college and university, Morgan State University, in Baltimore in the United States. No one was killed, but about a half dozen people were injured, none of them severely. They were injured while attending a school ball. As far as I can tell, no motives for this shooting have yet been released, but I report it again because mass violence at historically black colleges and universities in the United States is often racially motivated. And if it turns out that this was due to a right-wing or white supremacist attempt to suppress black education in the United States, I would not be surprised. Moving to the opposite coast of the United States, in San Francisco, X slash the company formerly known as Twitter has very helpfully, for the right-wing, eliminated its internal body that monitors electoral disinformation, and which also enables users to report electoral disinformation that it sees on the platform. This is alongside Elon Musk, the company's new owner, Uh, his generalized efforts to streamline the company and also specifically to eliminate almost all content monitoring systems that the platform had. This has led to everything from people reporting that there is a massive child pornography on these websites to also just like generic electoral and scientific disinformation being spread on the website. This is alongside Musk's own descent into increasingly right wing positions and posturing. Earlier this week, he went to the border of the United States, where migrants are attempting to enter the United States in order to seek asylum, both as climate refugees and also as political refugees. He did this while wearing a cowboy hat backwards and staring at people across a barbed wire fence. Musk has also and this is one that's particularly disturbing as somebody who studies the right-wing and pays attention to the right-wing online, he has tweeted out an image of a a clown face emoji and the globe emoji. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with this particular term, this is a right-wing dog whistle. It's a right-wing meme that comes from the alt-right era. It's called clown world, and it's a way that the right-wing talks about how the world works today and saying that it is, you know, cartoonish or stupid or or you know just like way off the tracks right so this is Elon Musk the richest person in the world and the owner of one of the best means of communicating with as many people as possible immediately and he's just like openly tweeting right wing memes just he's just openly tweeting right wing stuff and just like saying right wing shit it's it's pretty impressive moving on to the high political world of the United States Kevin McCarthy has been ousted as the speaker of the House of Representatives Kevin McCarthy was the leader of the House of Representatives for the Republicans, and he had served as a Republican Speaker of the House for the second shortest time of any speaker in history. He lasted about 6.25 heads of lettuces, or, you know, 6.25 trusses, and just under 25 Scaramucci's. The efforts to remove him from the House were led by Matt Gates who is a sitting Republican member of the House of Representatives and, I remind you, a pedophile, as in somebody who has sexual and romantic relationships with underage people. Gates and seven other Republicans led efforts to remove McCarthy from office and were joined in their vote by all of the other Democrats. McCarthy was ousted for his supposed inability to deliver on conservative promises, promises that he made to Gates and the other members of the Freedom Caucus, the extreme right-wing branch of the Republican Caucus in the House of Representatives. But this leaves not just the Republican branch of the House of Representatives, but the entire body in turmoil. As it currently functions, the House of Representatives cannot work without a Speaker. The Speaker has to decide basically everything that happens inside of the House, This means that the United States federal government is essentially floundering until the Republicans can figure out what they're doing. Some names that have been floated for people who might replace McCarthy are Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. Earlier, some people had actually floated former President Donald Trump as a possible replacement because the United States Constitution does not require that you be a member of the House of Representatives in order to be the Speaker of the House. However, that had to be eliminated because Donald Trump having been accused of a felony crime, is ineligible to be nominated by the House of Representatives to be the Speaker of the House based on the rules of the Republican Party. Whoops. This has led to major splintering in the GOP, including serious splits between some of the far right-wing factions and some of the centrist factions. For example, Nick Fuentes, the leader of the Groepers and one of the leading fascists in the United States today, Was getting angry at longtime ally Paul Gosar, an important go between between Fuentes and people like Trump, saying that because Paul Gosar didn't vote to oust McCarthy, he's weak. You know, he's not strong enough. He's not fascist enough, basically. But in this case, the momentum might be with the moderates. This might be a big test to show that, you know, McCarthy might be out, but you're just going to get another moderate Republican. Moving on to Donald Trump. Donald Trump has begun his civil fraud case in the state of New York which concerns allegations that his company has chronically lied about how much money it's worth, you know, that pro- that they lied about how much money their properties were worth. Trump began his case by attacking the New York Attorney General, by attacking the judge, and also by attacking one of his judge's aides, saying that they were potentially criminal and that they should be disbarred. In response, the judge has issued a gag order against Donald Trump, which means that if Donald Trump says any of this disparaging stuff in public again, he could go directly to jail. Consequences of this trial might mean that tr- some of Trump's businesses could be liquidated and auctioned off, which would be a serious blow to the you know consummate businessman persona that Trump tries to embody. Moving on to See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history, this one is a little bit complicated. His name is Ettore Ovasa. An Italian Jewish fascist banker. Avassa was born in Turin to an established wealthy Jewish family with a long history in finance. They were both a part of the Jewish community and also the northern Italian business and wealthy elite. Avassa studied law but was interrupted in order to serve in World War I. But he was a poor military commander and lost all of the major battles he was in. His family's wealth and prominence were extremely threatened by leftist uprisings that occurred in Italy after World War I, which led him to be a fascist sympathizer along with many other business leaders. He personally participated in the March on Rome in 1922, which cemented the fascists' power in Italy. He personally met Mussolini in 1929 as part of a delegation of Jewish veterans, Jewish fascist veterans, posing their allegiance to the cause, to the Italian fascist cause. He was already a personal friend and correspondent of Mussolini who, recall, did not care about Judaism until his alliance with Hitler. And that is what started to change about 10 years after this 1929 meeting. As the Nazis started to change the Italian fascist position on Judaism, Ovase himself found himself at a crossroads, right? He could either abandon fascism or he could dig in and try to change Italian fascism to be the general Italian nationalist movement that it had been at the beginning. And that's what he did. He dug in, he founded a fascist newspaper, which was primarily about touting Jewish efforts for Italy during World War I. When Italy invaded Ethiopia, he volunteered to be a military commander there, but was refused due to his age. However, he was still honored and was able to march in certain honor guards and to, you know, have like sort of like honorable military postings and stuff like that. This transformed, however, in 1938 when, as part of the cementing alliance between fascist Italy and Nazi Germany, Italy passed severely terrible Jewish race laws, which severely impacted Ovasa and the other Jewish people living in Italy. He and his family were banned from skilled work. They were unable to employ more than 100 people. They weren't allowed to marry other white people in Italy. They couldn't send their, their kids to state schools. They couldn't serve in the military. And of course, they were expelled from the fascist party. Ovasa's family saw the writing on the wall and escaped Italy before World War II began. However, Ovasa feeling personally, you know, betrayed by Mussolini, whom he was friends with, recall, he stayed in Italy and continued to try to plead with Mussolini to avoid an alliance with Hitler and also to revoke and eliminate, to turn back these anti-Semitic laws. This did not work, and Ovasa continued to live in Italy up until its invasion by the Allies. When the Allies invaded Italy from the south, the Germans invaded it from the north, where ovasse and his family had lived. He and his family tried to flee, but were caught at the Swiss border by the SS. They were shot, and they were killed, burned in a school furnace in Intra, on the coast of Lago Maggiore, just next to the border of Switzerland, this week in history, the 11th of October, 1943. I can't in good conscience celebrate this death the way that I do with the deaths of other fascists. Avasa was in the end a victim of a fascist regime, but his death and his victimization by a regime that he himself supported must unfortunately serve to us as a lesson and a reminder that fascists do not serve their people loyally and that they do not they do not reward loyalty even from people who have given their lives in order to support them. That was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. Uh, by that, I mean it's a band. Sleepy Kitty is a band. It's a very good band. Check them out wherever you find music. You can reach me at 15minutesoffascism at gmail.com. I am on Twitter at Hist of the Right, that's H I S T of the Right, and also Fascism15. I'm on Blue Sky at 15 M-I-N-S-O-F-F-A-S-C. And I am on Patreon at patreon.com 15 minutes of fascism. Again, that's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out and all one word. Thanks very much and I'll talk to you next week.